Open your Bibles with me to the book of Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Now, how many of you in here uh, like to watch TV? All right, all for honesty in church, all three of you. Nobody else watches TV in here. Uh, How many of you like to watch TV? Show of hands. All right. Now, uh, about 55 years or so ago, a new detective series started that changed the TV uh, online approach uh, to all types of TV shows. Uh, This show became so incredibly popular It had episodes that scattered from 1968 to the show finally ending in 2003. And it was this show right here, Columbo. How many of you have ever heard of Columbo or you've seen Columbo? All right, a good number of you have seen Columbo. Great. Now, Columbo was so innovative for its time that instead of leaving you wondering who committed the crime in the show, Columbo showed the crime and then the rest of the show was how Detective Columbo would figure out who the criminal was. That format ended up setting the precedence for several new detective and crime shows all the way up to today. Shows like CSI and Criminal Minds were modeled after this same type of show. Now, uh, Detective Columbo was a super odd fella. You guys, for those of you who watch, you guys remember what I'm talking about. He always had on a brown suit. He always had on a long brown jacket. But there was always something that Columbo said in every single episode of every single show. He would begin to unpack the crime. And as the people were walking away, he would be like, oh, there's just one more thing. There's just one more thing. Now, for Columbo, it was never just one more thing. Never. It never really was. It was a line that he used to get somebody's attention. It was kind of like that, uh, that thought of when someone approaches you and they say, do you have a minute that I could speak with you? Or, hey, this is only going to take a second. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? And then it ends up taking, you know, a half an hour to get through that conversation. Uh, it's like when, when your pastor says, and we're going to land the plane, or in closing, and then I talk to you for another 15 minutes. You, yeah, you, it's okay to laugh at me in church. It's all right. All right Now, today we are going to see, and we have seen over and over and over again, that this apostle named Paul is considered by so many people to be more than a little odd. He was like the Columbo of the Bible. He's often mocked. And even in a few weeks, uh, as we get to chapter 26 of the book of Acts, you will see that there is a man in the text named Festus. What kind of name is that? But he's there, and this man named Festus calls Paul mad. Uh, A Greek word meaning mania, or Paul, you're a maniac. You've lost your mind completely. Now, there's no denying for us as we have seen thus far, that Paul and many of the people who served with him, they did some dangerous things. Would you agree with that? They did dangerous. They went into some really dark places. I mean, spiritually dark places. And Paul was considered by many to be very daring in his ministry. Now, 
I, I say this to say to you that there is a difference between having courage and being crazy. There's a difference between being committed and being careless. Those are opposites, things on, the, on opposite ends of the spectrum. And what looked like madness to a lot of people simply was a man whose life had been totally transformed and radically altered by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so in this section today, you may be thinking to yourself, why on earth did you talk about Columbo and now you're talking about Paul? Well, today... I believe we have in the text what I have called Paul's just one more thing moment. His just one more thing moment. Paul makes a final farewell speech to to fellow Christian servants. And in this very rare moment, a challenge is given to a group of Christian leaders on how to love Jesus and how to live your life and to lead by example. Now, the text goes from what I call an uproar to all-night preaching. For those of you who were here last week or, or listened to last week's service, do you guys remember the riot that happened that caused Paul to have to flee for safety? After that riot, he heads to Ephesus and, and Paul, or sorry, he leaves Ephesus and he heads to Macedonia. And he wants to go to Macedonia to encourage and minister to the struggling churches that are there. The Christians that are walking through all sorts of pain and suffering. And so he heads down to Greece to do more. But he wants to go to Jerusalem with this offering that he has from these small churches. He wants to take it back and be a blessing. And he finds out in the text that there's this plot to kill him. And so he and and several guys with some really cool names arrive and they stay there for a week. And while they are there, Paul has an all-night church service. I want you to pick up with me now in verse number 7. And it says that on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. And all God's people said, amen. And we're staying here till midnight. And there were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered. And a young man named Eutychus sitting at the window sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. And this is the biblical reason why you should never fall asleep in church. (laughs) Paul started his sermon and in the afternoon he preached for hours and hours and hours into midnight and this guy falls asleep, falls out of his seat and he dies. Now I have been in church and I, I have been preaching long enough to know that sometimes people fall asleep in the service when I'm speaking. And to some extent, uh, if I could just be super honest with you this morning, to some extent in my flesh, it really bothers me. It really bothers me. But then the spirit in me helps me to realize that maybe this is the first time that that person has sat down. Maybe it's the first time then that person has rested. And and suddenly the tiredness has overtaken. And maybe they're struggling with a health issue that I don't know about. Maybe they're dealing with some sort of medication that makes them feel tired. 
or for some other reason they have fallen asleep. Now, I'm not standing here before you this morning to tell you all of the reasons that people doze off in church, but what I do know is that there are a lot more people sitting in churches awake in their body but asleep in their soul. Asleep in their soul. Church buildings all across the globe are filled with people who appear perfectly awake, but they are spiritually asleep. They're spiritually asleep, church. And I cannot help but think back to the book of Judges to a man named Samson. A man who was spiritually asleep and fell asleep upon the lap of a woman named Delilah. And if you go back, I want you to know that our childhood is often taught that Samson was this magnificent hero. No, he was a failure. Samson failed God. And if he would have been on his knees in prayer, he would not have ended up on Delilah's knees. He would not have been. And so church, I am so concerned this morning I'm concerned that the world and that our flesh and that sinfulness have lulled so many believers to sleep like Samson. I'm concerned that just like Samson, when he woke up, he didn't even realize that the Spirit of God had departed from him. Maybe you're in here this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you have been dealing with the symptoms of spiritual sleepiness. The symptoms of spiritual sleepiness. I'm not going to spend a ton of time here, but I believe this is the foundation for where we are headed in this message. And so I want to cover for us this morning five symptoms of spiritual sleepiness, the first is that you become desensitized to sin. Desensitized to sin. You begin to justify. You begin to rationalize your sin. And yet your convictions over sin become subject to your feelings and not the Holy Spirit inside of you. The second symptom is indifferent to spiritual things. You become indifferent to spiritual things. Spiritually, you're bored. Uh, you, you lack, and, and you begin to lose the Bible reading and prayer and familiarity with spiritual things. Then comes the third symptom, and you become critical of the church. You know, it's always made me laugh about those who are critical of the church. When you criticize the church, you're always talking about yourself because you are the church. The fourth symptom of spiritual sleepiness is that you begin to skip or you miss church. Worship is no longer a priority. Do you know that the Christian Research Institute put out a, um, a statistic just recently that said the average Christian goes to church less than two times a month and they call that normal? Less than two times a month and they call that normal. The fifth and last that I will briefly touch is that you stop thinking about sharing the gospel. You end up just like Jonah, the the prophet of the Old Testament, falling asleep in a boat when the world around you is looking for answers. Do you know that twice 
in the first chapter of Jonah's book, the word arise is used two times. That word arise means to wake up. God said it first to Jonah and then the sailors say it to Jonah. It's like a spiritual alarm clock trying to get you to wake from your sleepiness. You're either asleep because you're spiritually in sin or you're asleep because you're spiritually dead. You guys, uh, those who know me uh, or have attended church here for quite some time know uh, that my favorite author is C.S. Lewis. And my wife and I have been talking uh, recently about one of my favorite books that he's ever written, the book called The Screwtape Letters. It's written from the perspective of demons conspiring against people on how to attack them. And I want you to hear what C.S. Lewis says about spiritual sleepiness. He says this, that the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Christian in here this morning, it is imperative that you wake up. It's imperative. It's imperative, Christian, that you engage in spiritual introspection to discern our spiritual standing before God. You and I should not just merely scrutinize our outward actions. We are admonished by Scripture to examine the affections that govern our hearts. Amen, church? And the pursuits that define our existence and even the manner in which we navigate the course of our lives. We're about to see in just a moment the impending discourse that Paul gives to us encapsulates his just one more thing moment. It's poised in scripture to to unravel for us the intricacies of, of aligning our lives with the principles that transcend mere outward conduct. Ones where we allow the Holy Spirit to change and alter our direction internally first. And so Paul is about to split up from this group that he met with and he goes to head back to Jerusalem for Pentecost And before he leaves, he calls all of the elders together. And I want you to pick up now in verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come with him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 22, And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Holy Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I did not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone you this day that I am innocent of the blood 
sorry. I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. In verse 26, therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay attention carefully to yourselves and to all of your flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which you obtained with his blood. I know that after my departure, and do not miss this church, after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock, and from among you yourselves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the world of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul directs, this discourse to the spiritual vanguards, the, 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 the people that are entrusted to oversee the flocks of God. Now, before, before you confine the significance of this passage solely to church leaders, it is crucial for us to extend the implications of this passage far beyond Because the implications encompass a wider scope of relevance and applicability to all believers, all followers. It is within these very verses that we are granted an intimate glimpse into the way that Paul pastored. It's it's an intimate glimpse into the insights of ministry and what we are supposed to do each and every day as Christians. The narrative here moved beyond mere instruction. It became a very conduit for understanding the fervor that should propel a Christian forward each and every day. And so as we uh, attentively heed these exhortations, I pray that you would discern the echoes of a passion that fueled Paul in his ministry. And so the first note that I want you to make this morning is that Christians must live a faithful life to the glory of God. We must live a faithful life to the glory of God. Do you know Paul in this passage said, I have a single focus, and that is to do exactly what Jesus told me to do. Uh, Paul demonstrated this by the very lifestyle that he lived, that he was totally committed to the call of God on his life, and that he faithfully obeyed it each and every step of the way. Which leads me to this question this morning. If you're a believer in here, If you know that Christ is your Savior, I need you to answer this question internally. Have you thought about what it is that God has called you to do? Have you thought about it? Because when you and I take a deeper look at our life and we consider God's plan, things become clear. They become super clear. 
I mean, God's word and God's work inside of your life plays a crucial role in bringing clarity and understanding of the way that you should walk. And according to Paul, according to what we see here in chapter 20, the Christian life is all about staying committed and staying faithful. Amen? It's about commitment and faithfulness. And the bigger story, Christian, look up here for just a moment. The bigger story is not about how you can impress somebody else, but rather it is a shared journey where you're guided by God's hand. And so being steadfast, persevering, being faithful to what God has called and commanded you to is essential. And you and I have to recognize that the very plan that God has laid out is so much more significant than your personal goals. And it's also so much more significant than your limitations. And so if you're a note taker in here, the gold star student, I want you to write down that success in life is figuring out what God has called you to and faithfully carrying it out. That's what's deemed successful. And so if you're a husband in here this morning, or a wife, or a father, or a mother, or somebody's friend, or a witness, or a giver, if you miss everything else, then take these two words, be faithful. Be faithful. Because Paul said in season and out of season, be faithful. We are to be faithful. Now, I don't stand before you this morning saying that we're never going to have moments in this life where we're not struggling. There are going to be seasons of struggle, there are going to be seasons of pain. There are going to be seasons of problems. But we can, through the power of the Holy Spirit, stay faithful in those seasons. Because one act of faithfulness can make an eternal impact in the life of somebody else. And the Bible is filled over and over and over again with everyday ordinary people who through simple yet committed acts of faithfulness accomplished incredible things. I want you to look back with me at verse number 26. Paul says that therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of all uh, innocent of the blood of all for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. I want you to pay very close attention to these next couple of verses. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all of the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Now, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. And if you have a physical Bible, I want you to underline this. Therefore, be alert. Therefore, be alert. 
remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one of you with tears. Now I want you to stop right there. What most people don't recognize or realize is that Paul is referencing the Old Testament and these five verses that we just reread. Paul is referencing a specific Old Testament prophet in a specific book and time period. How many of you have ever read through the book of Ezekiel in the Old Testament? Paul is referencing Ezekiel 33. Ezekiel 33 is a specific passage that talks about a specific group of people called the watchmen. The watchmen, the people that sat on the wall. Those watchmen were given a job to do, and that was to keep a lookout. They were to warn the camp when an enemy invasion was supposed to happen. And those watchmen, if they failed, if they failed to warn of an enemy invasion, God held them accountable and he punished them. But if those watchmen, if they did warn the camp of the impending evasion, God did not hold the watchmen accountable because they did their job. And so Christian, in here this morning, are you faithful to watch over? Are you faithful to warn your friends and your family and your circle of influence? Are you clear with them? Do you truly care for those people? As Paul said, all of this with tears, Paul cared, Paul cried over people. And so I have to ask you this morning, when was the last time that you shed a tear for someone that needed to be warned? When was the last time? What characterizes your attitude towards people who don't know Christ. I love, I may not agree with everything that he agreed with, but Charles Spurgeon was probably one of the greatest theological giants of his day. Charles Spurgeon had such a heart for people that he would go to the darkest and most disgusting places so that those lost and hurting people could hear the glorious light of the gospel. And before Charles Spurgeon died, he said something that I will never, ever, ever forget. He said, if sinners are to be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if any of them perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled with the teeth of our exertions. And let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. A true servant of God does not try to put on an impressive show. They just display an immaculate Savior. And so you and I are called to live a faithful life to the glory of God. The second note that I want you to make this morning or to see in the text is that we must finish our course with joy. We must finish our course with joy. I want you to go back with me and reread verse number 24. 
but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. It is clear to us that as Christians, we are to finish our course, but not just to finish it, but to finish it with joy. You know, so many people that I have met in ministry over the years start out strong, but then they end up sputtering out and stopping. Uh, so many people get to the second half of their life and they stop living faithfully and start living selfishly. Church, we're going to have seasons of weariness where we're going to want to give up. I mean, think about it. Have you ever been in that place where things were not going well and you're like, this is just not working, so why even bother anymore with that? You guys ever been there? You ever been in that place? I mean, think about Paul. I mean, Peter preaches and 3,000 people get saved. Paul preaches and someone falls asleep and they fall out of the room dead. And then he gets stoned and they beat him and they throw him in prison upside down. People are waiting to argue with him. And yet Paul continued on. And so whatever season that you find yourself in right now, finish it with joy. I don't know about you, but quitters are some of the most miserable people to be around. And so mom, don't quit. Dad, don't quit. Teenager, don't quit. Spouse, husband, wife, don't quit. One of my mentors used to say to me early on in ministry, stay off the ropes and keep swinging. Stay off the ropes and keep swinging. And then he always followed it up with this question, where do you find strength, Josh? Where do you find strength? Where do you find strength, Josh? And he used to say it over and over and over again, and it always used to bother the fire out of me because I didn't want to give the Sunday school answer and be like, Jesus, you know that. And when I left the oncologist two years ago, two years ago, yesterday. I called him on my way home. And he said, where do you find strength, Josh? And I said, the author and finisher of my faith. That's where I find my strength. I don't know where you're at this morning. I have no idea. I don't know what you're walking through. I don't know the pain that you're enduring. I have no idea. Unless for some reason you've shared with me in the last week. But if you are a believer in here this morning, there are two verses that have helped me endure some of life's hardest things. And they're going to come to the screen for you. The writer of Hebrews tells us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, 
despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God for consider him that endured such contradictions of sinners against him lest you be wearied and faint in your mind consider Jesus consider Jesus Jesus gave everything away And he suffered more than you and I could ever understand so that you and I would know eternal joy with the Father. Knowing Jesus in this life means knowing joy. And it's impossible to really have joy in life until you know the giver of life. And so you and I have to live a faithful life. We have to live a faithful life and and we have to finish our course with joy. But the last thing that Paul said in this passage is don't forget what Jesus said. Don't forget what Jesus said. Paul closes out this challenge. Paul closes out this challenge in the last couple of verses. I want you to look back with me at verse 33. Paul said, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. You know, someone said to me that you always should take more or you should always give more than what you take. And that's the secret to joy. And so, without really ruffling the feathers this morning, are you a giver or a taker? Are you a giver or a taker in your relationships, in your marriage, in your job, with your money? Are you a giver or a taker? I mean, we want this to just be about money, and don't worry, it is. But I think the greater application is your living. It's your living. Do I live to get, or do I live to give? I mean, God did not put you and I here just to make money. I mean, there's nothing wrong with making money, but please don't hear me say that. But your increase in financial capacity should not simply increase your standard of living, but your standard of giving. Amen, church? It should increase your standard of giving. And I often wonder if God's people really believe this portion of Scripture. I mean, that it's actually better to give than to receive. I mean, the question of giving can never come down to percentages and numbers. It can't. And if we look at our giving, we can tell exactly what we love. Uh, We have to realize that by loving Jesus, our giving should change because we love Jesus. Uh, The gospel shows us how we are the takers and Jesus is the giver. I mean, the gospel itself exposes inside of us how selfish we truly are. How unlike Jesus we are and how desperately we need him. You know, I've come to realize in this life that we could never truly pay him back 
for what he gave to us. But we can pattern our life after his. We can learn from him. We can experience the joy and the blessing of being a giver and not a taker. And so that was Paul's just one more thing moment. And you know how Paul sums up his just one more thing moment? Go to the end of Paul's life. A passage of scripture that more people hear either on their deathbed or in funerals. 2 Timothy 4, 7, Paul said, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. And so I just want to close by asking you this one question. When your just one more thing moment comes in your life, what will the story of your life communicate? What will it communicate? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We come before you at this moment. And, and God, we first must say thank you for the, the very insight and wisdom that we see here in your word. We, we acknowledge that sometimes we just need that just one more thing moment in order to have our attention captured, to have our hearts guided. And so Lord, as we prepare here in just a moment to, to leave, I ask, Lord, that you would help us to discover and, and, and commit to the specific call that you have placed on each and every one of us. In every season, God, in season and out of season, as your word says, in struggle and in triumph, may our, our faithfulness shine as a testimony of the very grace and mercy uh, of our lives. And God, when we are in those seasons or moments of weariness and, and in the midst of a challenge. God, I, I just beg that you would give us strength to persevere. That you would help us to navigate through life, not only with determination, but Lord, that we would have joy in the midst of all of our circumstances. So teach us, Lord, to be givers and, and not takers. And still in us a spirit of generosity that goes so far beyond financial giving, but to a life that just is lived in selflessness. And Lord, as we reflect upon our life, the life that's been lived and in the, the life that you have for us in the future, I, I pray that our lives would echo Paul's sentiment of fighting a good fight and finishing the race and, and keeping the faith. We just thank you, Lord, for who you are, for your love, and for your grace and your mercy in our lives. And I just ask and pray these things now in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. Now, thank you, thank you, church, for being here this morning. But before you leave, uh, we have a few quick announcements um, for you. Uh, first and foremost, uh, church family, would you help me welcome any and all first-time guests that we have here uh, with us this morning? 
Yeah, thank you. If you are a guest or you've never filled out a uh, connection card, we just ask that you reach in the seat back pocket in front of you and just fill out as much information on that card as you feel comfortable with. And if you drop that at the connection point on your way out today, we have a free gift for you, a way of saying thank you for joining us for worship. Now, uh, church members, regular attenders, uh, you know that Sunday is a day that we not only get to give, or sorry, gather, but it's also a day where we get to give. We get excited about giving here at the well, and there are multiple ways for you to give. You can do so online at the church website. You can text the number there on the screen. Uh, We've got giving boxes there in the back and envelopes in the seat back pockets in front of you. Uh, Now, outside of that church, especially those that have been here or watched online, you were probably waiting uh, because pastor told you last week, right, there's this big announcement and you need to be here. So, uh, before, um, yes, before we go any further, uh, church, um, I want to start out by saying uh, that we, we are fast approaching my three-year anniversary here as the pastor. Um, yeah, thank you. Um, that three years or close to it um, has in my opinion, and, and please, this is not a negative, it has been a whirlwind for three years. Uh, there have been a lot of ups and a lot of downs and then a lot more ups after that. Uh, and God has been faithful through every mountain and every valley, has he not, church? God has allowed us to see victory. Uh, we've seen salvations, we've seen baptisms, Uh, We've seen uh, bathrooms uh, get put in, uh, which church, um, I apologize, they were not open for you today. Uh, The inspector was not able to be here Friday, uh, but he will be here tomorrow uh, to open those bathrooms. Uh, We've seen uh, handicap accessibility come in, and we're just a few weeks away from having our state inspection, and we'll be able to start using that chair. And so we've seen a lot of good uh, come over these three years, amen? A lot of good. Um, one of the things, though, that I need to mention before I say anything else is the fact that one of the most consistent prayers that my wife and I have had for this church is that uh, we did not need to be a church of thousands. We did not have to be the church that had the coolest uh, instruments and lights and, and everything like that. We begged of God that we were given a church of faithful people. And I want to tell you that in the three years that we have been here, God has displayed faithfulness through many, if not all of you, in different ways here in this church. Uh, To my family, uh, to our ministries, uh, God has used you to bless our financial situations here at the church. Uh, We, in Correct me, Amy, if I'm wrong, but we are probably in one of the most financially stable situations that we've ever been in, since at least since I have been here as the pastor. And um, yeah, God is good. And so with that being said, I stand before you today because I want to introduce to you something that we as a leadership are calling a church identity blueprint, the church identity blueprint. Now, before you begin to ask what this is, I hope in the next five to seven minutes to explain it to you. Hopefully. 
The church identity blueprint is an essential initiative that is aimed at revitalizing our church's vision and mission within our communities. Our goal is to invigorate our commitment to spreading the gospel and fostering deeper connections with our local communities, not just here in Ionia. As you know that there are more uh, or close to half of the people that go to church here attend church and drive from outside of Ionia proper. We are represented by Lowell, Fenwick, Orleans, Belding, Saranac, and Ionia. Muir and Lyons, I believe, as well. And if I missed anyone, I apologize. But our goal is to foster deeper connections in all of those local communities, not just right here in Ionia, because we want those who live in those other cities to make a gospel impact in their communities as well. And so with that being said, there are three elements to this church identity blueprint. The first is that I, as your pastor, and our church board are calling each and every one of you to partner with us to live on mission each and every day when we are not here. Amen, church? We are asking you to passionately embrace our mission to reach every corner of our communities with the transformative message of the gospel. And when we do this, we will impact lives and impact hearts through intentional efforts and strategic outreach initiatives that we have planned specifically going into 2024. The second element of this church identity blueprint is that we are emphatically identifying with our communities. What does this mean? We are planning and preparing to establish a connection with every surrounding community that we can Uh, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We will do this by actively engaging and empathizing with the needs of those that are hurting and lost by creating an environment in which we can minister not to just one specific demographic, but to all demographics of people. And then the third element to our church identity blueprint is that we are creating a relaunch. Now, before you panic, let me explain. Over the last several months, We've had conversations with neighbors here of the church and the, the, the businessmen and women that have helped us throughout many changes uh, that have happened here in uh, the recent months, uh, projects and things like that. And these people in our community have all been asked uh, what their perception is of the well church. And I want you to know that we have often been defined as a church by our past and past leadership. A few things that have been said about our church is that we are inward focused, that we are a church of conflict, a church of cliques, and a church of what I would say coldness or or one that is unwelcoming. And so our hope with this initiative is to disprove any lingering misconceptions of our church because of its past. But we are also wanting to redefine our identity as a church of transformation filled with grace, living on mission. Amen, church? I stand before you this morning to just say to you as your pastor that our past perceptions or past perceptions of people in our community do not define us. However, enhancing our outward identity really aligns with our mission to share the transformative gospel in every facet that we can. 
I've come to realize as a believer that when a group of, of Christians gather together, we have the capability of standing as a beacon of hope to a lost and a hurting community. Amen? And the reason that we can stand as a beacon of hope is because we're guided by the timeless truths of Scripture. And so in light of everything that I have said thus far, we have created a new church vision and mission statement. Our new vision statement is that we as a church exist to impact our communities by bringing grace and truth to life. That means in everything that we do, grace and truth is a part of our very fabric because we are followers of Jesus Christ. That, that vision there is the long-term big picture of what we want to see accomplished in and through our church. And with each vision statement, there is a mission statement that supports or helps to accomplish that vision. Our new church mission statement is that we are leading everyday people to encounter Christ. We're leading everyday people. This church initiative will be further unpacked in the months to come. However, at this time, we want to communicate with you the key changes that are on the horizon. First and foremost, we have laid out a strategic focus for 2024 in which our church will make intentional efforts to reach our communities with the gospel. Throughout 2024, I believe we have no less than seven or possibly eight outreach events that we are attempting to do to partner with those who are of the greatest need here in our community. We're going to be working with the domestic violence shelter here in Ionia. We're going to be working with the pregnancy center, not only to supply needs, but to give spiritual counsel to young women who are lost and hurting and don't know what to do because they've become pregnant. Not only that, but we're going to continue to reach the homeless in this community, as well as attempting to reach demographics that most churches are shying away from, the millennials, the young families, and what I'm going to call the senior saints. Now, the community connections that I'm calling them are to be an active engagement and to empathize with those that are lost and hurting and are in need of Christ. So along with dispelling misconceptions and emphasizing transformation and, and grace and truth, the largest key change that we want to communicate with you this morning will occur in roughly 15 weeks. On March 3rd of 2024, we will be relaunching our church under a new name. We will no longer be called the Well Church. We will now be called Mission Life Church. Mission Life Church epitomizes the very core of our church's vision and mission. It succinctly represents the spirit of living on mission as we've drawn inspiration from the book of Acts over the last 19 weeks. In this name, the word mission embodies our commitment to spreading the gospel and fulfill the Great Commission. And it mirrors the disciples' fervor and dedication to Christ himself. The word life signifies not just a segment of our existence, but the entirety of our being, our daily conduct, our actions, and our interactions infused with the purpose of living out Scripture. And so together, Mission Life is a powerful reminder to our community of believers as we are urged to continuously embrace the call to live out the ambassadorship that has been laid out for us in Scripture. And we want to take every moment 
and make it an opportunity to live out the gospel and fulfill our missions to impact the lives and communities around us. I want to stand before you this morning with, with excitement, but also great joy. It was just a few short weeks ago that I sat on a telephone call that, to be honest with you, I never imagined that I would be on. A telephone call with the planting pastor of the church here, Ed Love. Dr. Ed Love. How many of you know the name or have heard of him? Many of you. I sat on the phone uh, with Ed, and, and I want you to know that, um, am I, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but I quickly developed a bromance uh, with this individual on the phone. <laughs> he ran in the same intellectual circle uh, that I did, and it was such a beautiful time of conversation that we lost track of time on the phone and were on the phone for over an hour. The conversation was supposed to be short, and at the end of that conversation, as I began to unpack for him this initiative, um, I get done, and I was waiting for something negative. And Ed says to me, this is awesome. Josh, this is so amazing. I'm so grateful that the Lord has given this to you and I want you to know that you did not have to call me and I appreciate that out of respect you did call me but you need to know that you have my full support with whatever it is that you need. After some more conversation from there, we also received full support from the Great Lakes region of the Wesleyan Church for the name change or uh, the name, the GLR as we affectionately call them. Uh, the people that help oversee our church body outside of here. The GLR uh, has diligently worked alongside of us for well over 18 months to help us fix uh, many things that were issues behind the scenes. And these last couple of months, they have diligently worked alongside of us and have given full support into the future. With that being said, I want to just say this. Anything that you may have heard and or felt uh, about the GLR as your pastor, I uh, pray and encourage and exhort you, um, if you have been hurt or offended by them, to work on forgiving them through the help of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in you. The GLR has been a huge support, and I am forever grateful for every way that not only have they ministered to me individually as a pastor, uh, to my wife and to our family through these last couple of years, uh, but the support that they have shown. And so for those of you who may be sitting in here and be like, I have no idea what you're talking about, that's great. You want to like the GLR because they help us. And so moving forward, starting uh, today, uh, we are going to ask of you to do something. And so at this time, I'm going to ask our church board uh, to please come to the front, 